Let's just get right into it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Hold up. Let me just pause for a second. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing all of us here tonight, Lord. And God, I pray now that in this time that we spend in your word and looking at, looking at this topic that we're going to be looking at tonight, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would humble us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would just show us where we're, where we're falling short, Lord. Show us where we need uh, to step it up a little bit, but also show us, God, that it's not us. We're not the ones that are powering this whole thing, God. It's all you. It's your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I just pray that you would speak loudly. God, empty us of ourselves. Help us to focus on you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, tonight we are going to be continuing in our study through the Gospel of Matthew. So, if you guys have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. As we're going to keep diving into the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a bit now, but we're going to keep going. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's, uh, it's his longest recorded sermon slash monologue where, you know, he's introducing this new kingdom that he came to bring. Excuse me. Uh, And the topic that we're going to be looking at tonight is prayer. We're going to be looking at prayer. And since that is the topic that we're going to be looking at tonight, uh, we will be having a time of group prayer here at Zeal. Everyone is going to pray. If you want to pray, pray. If you don't want to pray, don't pray. You don't have to. Praying with your brothers and sisters, agreeing with your brothers and sisters in prayer, it's, it's definitely something that we need to do. It's a great gift that we have been given by God. There is power. There is power in family prayer. Matthew chapter 18, this is what Jesus said in verses 19 and 20. He says, again, truly, I tell you, If two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, there are caveats to this this thing, but the principle is there. Multiple brothers and sisters coming together in prayer is powerful. It's powerful. So we're going to gather in groups of two or three or more tonight, and we're going to pray to our Father in heaven. Uh, now, if, if you're an introverted person, if you're, if you're, if, or if you just simply don't want to pray out loud, you don't have to. But don't run off. Don't, don't, don't run off after, after the, the message is done, after, we've, after I finish preaching. If you're a believer, don't run away. If, if, you're, if you're introverted, don't run away. I, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm asking you, don't do that. You, you don't have to be the center of attention. You don't. If you don't want to be, you don't have to be. Just join together with your brothers and sisters, please. But before we get into our time of prayer tonight, uh, let's, let's get into the scriptures. Let's just get into it. So hopefully your Bibles are already open to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you're a note taker, uh, the title of tonight's message is Prayed in Full. Prayed in Full. Last week it was Paid in Full. You see what I did there. Wordplay. Prayed in Full. Um, But let's read our verses for tonight, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 5 through 8. It says this, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask him. And so the first thing that needs to be highlighted uh, from our verses tonight is the main thing that was being highlighted in last week's study, and that's the issue of the heart. You know, what's the motivating factor behind what you're doing? Now, I'm not going to go all the way in on this, on this highlight. Uh, so if you'd like to hear more about this, like where is your heart, you can go check out last week's message. It's on YouTube or Spotify. Just search Zeal Young Adults and you can see it right there. But the question of why you are doing what you are doing is presented to us tonight. What is the driving force behind what you are doing? And the question is being asked tonight in the context of prayer. The context of prayer. The reason that Jesus is even drawing our attention to this is that the religious people of his day, they had turned prayer. They, they, they turned it from this beautiful thing, this beautiful thing of communicating with, with God the Father, and they turned it into an opportunity to flaunt their piety. And it was an opportunity for vain hypocrisy at the end of the day. Uh, there were many aspects of prayer uh, and, and, and the prayer life uh, in this day that Jesus is, taught, is, is speaking. In and of themselves, the things that, that comprised the prayer life, there weren't evil. These things weren't evil. Um, but when the heart of man is not truly devoted to God, these things can become evil. For example, in, in this day, in Jesus' day, there were, there were specific and scheduled times of prayer. You know, no, no matter where a person was, if the time of prayer came upon them, uh, they stopped whatever they were doing and they prayed. They might have been in the marketplace, they might have been on a street corner, wherever they were, they stopped to pray. Not only that, they, they, they had pre-composed prayers. They had pre-prepared pre prayers uh, that would be used during these times of prayer. Again, the, these things, they're not evil, but when the heart of man is not truly devoted to God, specified times of prayer, they become the only time of prayer, a duty to be fulfilled at a specific time. And in this day, as I just said, they, they had pre-composed prayers that they would recite. They, they had prayers that would speak into every situation of life, prayers for good news. They would have prayers for rain. They had prayers for safe travel, all intended to bring God into every aspect of their lives. And, and while these kinds of prayers, they should have been thoughtfully recited and, and reverently given, they turned into a race to, to recite the prayer as fast as you could so that you could just move on with your day. They became fruitless. They became mindless repetitions of words that had no meaning. You know, my son, we, we teach my son to pray We've taught him to pray before he eats. Uh, from a very young age, we taught him. Uh, he's five now, but when he, I think when he was around two, we started to teach him. And it was very simple when he was two. It was, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Please bless it. Make it good for our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that's fine. But the problem is, as the years have gone by, it's just become a mindless repetition. You know, we, we put the food in front of him. I think he's just, he just like go through the whole thing. We're like, whoa, dude, like, okay, hold up. And so recently my wife and I were just like, okay, we, we, need, to, we need to have him be a little more creative with his prayers. 
And so we started telling him, okay, Caleb, don't just say that. What, what else can you pray for? How else can you thank God for your food? And, and you know, he's starting to expand his prayer a little bit. Um, it's not just a mindless repetition anymore. Um, but in this day, in Jesus' day, um, they also began to associate long prayers with piety. You know, long prayers are not evil. Long prayers are not evil. But when the heart of man is not truly devoted to God, a long prayer, it can turn into an opportunity just to, to show off. Look at how much time I spend talking to God. My prayers are very long. Some religious leaders, they used to take those, those pre-composed prayers, those prayers that they would recite, and they would make sure that they would enunciate every syllable clearly and correctly. You know, so not only is my prayer long, but it's also pronounced and it's correct in everything that I say, unlike these heathens who don't know how to speak properly. The religious leaders, they would also try to outdo one another by competing to include the most adjectives before they would say God's name. You know, like, oh, we thank you, faithful, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, everlasting, compassionate, kind, loving, eternally. And then they just keep going on and try to add all the adjectives before they would actually just say, Lord, you know? It was like a competition. Now, all of these things, as, as I stated, they're not necessarily evil things. Nothing wrong with having specific times of prayer. There's nothing wrong with coming to God with the same heartfelt prayer over and over again. There's nothing wrong with having a long prayer to offer up to God. There's nothing wrong with attributing to God all that he is as you are praying to him. But where is your heart in all of it? Where is your heart? Are, are you doing these things to be seen by others? Because that's what the religious leaders were doing. They were doing it to be seen by others. They loved getting attention. They loved get, being seen as pious. They loved being seen as devoted to God. However, none of it was real. None of it was real. They were being hypocrites. Jesus himself testifies of their hypocrisy when he said, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They were hypocrites. Don't be like those hypocrites who pray only to be seen by others, to get props from others, to get respect from others. It's not about that. And then Jesus also says not to babble when you pray. Uh, the New American Standard Bible translation, it says, it says, do not use meaningless repetition. Do not use meaningless repetition. The Greek word batologeo, it means to repeat the same things over and over again, to use many idle words, to talk foolishly and tediously at length. And Jesus says that the Gentiles, they do this thinking that they will be heard because they are repeating themselves over and over again. In 1 Kings 18, when Elijah he, he uh, challenged the prophets of Baal. Uh, both Baal's prophets and Elijah, they set up an altar and they put a cow on the altar. And, and one at a time, they were going to call on their God. The false prophets were gonna call on Baal and Elijah was gonna call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in 1 Kings 18, 26, it says that the prophets of Baal from morning until noon, they were saying, Baal, answer us. 
Baal, answer us. Baal, answer us. From morning until noon, repeating over and over, Baal, answer us. And then in verse 29, it says that they raved from noontime until evening. So all day they were offering some sort of repetitious nothingness and nothing happened. In Acts 19, some of the disciples, they were, they were being rioted against because Paul was, was preaching that the false god Artemis was not a, a real god and all the other idols were not gods at all and people were believing him. So some of the disciples, they, 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 were, in this, they were in Ephesus and they, they got rounded up by a mob of people and, and when one of the disciples began to attempt to make it his defense, like he tried to defend what they were doing, the, the whole crowd just like didn't even want to hear it. They all just started shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They, they were repeating that, the scripture says, for two hours. Repeating that for two hours. Talk about meaningless repetition. Like what does that communicate? What does that communicate? When someone tries to state their case, they try to defend themselves, and then you just start shouting them down for a couple of hours, not really saying anything. Sounds like some of these college kids on these college campuses and all these leftists, when you try to dialogue with them, they just shout at you. Homophobe! But you're not going to be heard. You're not going to be heard by God because you keep repeating yourself over and over and over again. And, and the idea is that you are, you're, you're like, you're, you're, you think that you are coercing or you're enticing God to listen to you. You're saying the magic words. And once you say the magic words, he has to answer you now. God cannot be enticed by your many words. God cannot be manipulated by your many words. God cannot be activated by your many words. I remember I came across this clip. I'm sure some of you guys have seen it. Maybe all of you guys have seen it. It's like Family Feud. And like they're at the final round and this woman is like standing there. She's about to, she's getting ready to answer the questions that Steve Harvey's going to ask her. And she's like, Holy Spirit, activate. Hold, and like, look, ha ha ha, that's funny. But I got to tell you, it was so infuriating when I saw that. Like just for me personally, I, it was infuriating. It was heartbreaking. Like my heart was breaking on God's behalf. Because like, what are you saying? Like, what are you saying? Nothing that you're saying in that moment has anything to do with the truth of the scriptures. Repeating over and over again, Holy Spirit, activate. That's, that's not a thing. It's, it's a mindless babble. It's a mindless repetition. You are not representing Christ. If you truly are a Christian, you're not representing Christ with that. It's, it, it broke my heart because like, Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying. We don't coerce God. It's not an incantation that we keep repeating. And after we repeat it enough times, like God is going to come down. That's not scriptural. Think about what you're saying. And though there, from our verses tonight, though there are several implications and several conclusions that can be drawn from our verses I truly truly believe that the main thing, the main thing that the Lord wants to communicate to us tonight are those words that I just said. Think about what you are saying. Think about what you are saying. Just take a moment or two. Just 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 stop for a second and, and really think about, in prayer, what you are saying. 
I believe that based on what I see in the scriptures, that prayer, man, prayer is like a many-layered, many-layered and dynamic activity that we are involved in. It, it is a heavenly realm activity. And, and though we have some understanding of, of how this whole thing works, how prayer works, um, we simply can't nail this thing down 100%. You know, just looking at some of the examples of prayer in the word, there are examples of, of people praying on behalf of themselves or on behalf of others that the Lord would answer favorably and that something good would happen and the Lord answered the prayer. Yes, he, something good happened. There are examples of, of people praying uh, that God would work a situation out a certain way in order for them to know that God was with them in their venture. Like, essentially, like, God, give me a sign that what I'm doing is the right thing to do. And God would give them that sign. He would oblige them. You know, there are examples of people praying, and they are just recounting to God. They're telling God all the things that he is in gratitude. That, that's, that's what they're doing in their prayer. There's examples of, uh, in the Bible of people complaining to God, just complaining to God in prayer and saying, I, I can't take this anymore. Can you please just take my life? Of course, God didn't do it. In one of those examples, he just gave him something to eat and told him to take a nap. But there are examples in scripture where prayer brought people back to life. Prayer helped people see into the spiritual realm and brought them comfort and encouragement in the midst of facing an enemy. In times of fear, people in the scriptures reasoned with God, like, like they were a lawyer, like they were representing themselves in a courtroom and they're reasoning with God, like, God, I know I'm a mess right now, but God, like, think about all the things that I've done in the past. Like, can you please just think about those things and not, and, and not what I'm doing right now? And the arguments worked, the reasoning worked. God, God was favorable, looked favorably towards these people. There were people who, who were in complete rebellion against God. And because of their rebellion, they got sent into captivity. And in the midst of their captivity, they realized, like, man, I messed up. And they, they prayed to God and asked him to forgive them. And God heard them, and he, and he saved them out of their captivity. There were people in the scriptures who would talk a big game. They talked a big game in front of, in front of people. Like, ah, my God's got it. But then when, when life got real, when time came to actually be about it, they were like, oh, snap, like it's about to get real. Like, Lord, please, they, they offered up prayers of like, God, please don't make me, please don't, don't let me embarrass myself. Like, I, I professed all this trust in you. Like, can you please show up for us? And, and he did. There are prayers in the scriptures, prayers of praise, prayers of anxiety, prayers of fear, prayers of sadness, prayers of joy, prayers of anger. There, there are prayers demanding justice. There, there are prayers offered up requesting mercy from God. Prayers that were begging for protection. Prayers for strength during a trial. There were prayers that were offered up for future strength for future trials. There was prayers offered up for boldness. There, there are prayers that are offered up and they're immediately answered, but the answer isn't communicated to the, per, to the petitioner because there was, some, there was a spiritual battle going on and, there, and fighting needed to take place in the spiritual world before this answer could get to the person who was praying for an answer. There are prayers that are offered up that though the petitioner, they wanted a specific outcome to happen in a situation, the, the outcome that happened wasn't the outcome that they were praying for. And that's just how it went down. There are prayers that are offered up in the scriptures. They're offered up all night all night prayer is being offered up because the decision that was to be made the next day was very significant. 
There are prayers in the scriptures that are no more than 10 words. No more than 10 words. And the result of those less than 10 word prayers was that the person who prayed that prayer walked away justified and forgiven. Prayer is a tool to fight against temptation. Prayer is is unifying for the believers. Prayers are offered up for guidance. Prayers were offered up so that people would receive the Holy Spirit. Prayers were offered up for church leaders and and elders and people who, who were gonna be serving the church. We are told to devote ourselves to prayer. We're told to pray without ceasing. We're told that prayer can change things. We're told that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. We're told to cast all of our cares to God because he cares for us. We're told that we don't have the things that we want because we don't ask God in prayer. But then we're also told we don't have the things that we ask for in prayer. We don't get those things because we are asking for those things with wrong motives. But we're told that if we would just delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. You look throughout the scriptures and you see all these examples, all these examples and guiding principles on prayer and what prayer looks like, what prayer should look like, what prayer is but I want to make sure that what we are left with tonight is that we are being thoughtful about what we are doing. We already know that we're not supposed to be doing anything in order to be seen by others. That's simple to understand. Don't do things to be seen by others. It's very simple, but we need to be thoughtful. We need to be thoughtful. Don't just mindlessly babble when you pray. Think about what's happening. Slow down. Be thoughtful in your words towards God. Ecclesiastes 5.2, it says this, do not be quick with your mouth or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now that's not to say that you need to keep it to a 20 word minimum when you pray. Don't say too much, it's not it. But it is to say that you need to be thoughtful in your communication to God. Be thoughtful. Don't be an idle babbler. Of course, there will be moments of distress. You're going to have moments of frustration in your life. You're going to have moments of anger where you're going to come to the Lord with a complaining heart. Like you're just, you're just going to be pouring out your heart to God. You're just like, you're not going to be letting your words be few in those moments. You're just, you're just letting it all out. And that's okay. There's like, there's nothing wrong with that. God is your father and he cares for you. So let it all out. But we always, we always need to come back. We always need to come back to him and putting the focus on him. That's, that's where the thoughtfulness comes in. Like, you know, I poured out my entire heart to him. I made all of these complaints. I complained about everything. I grumbled about everything. And I let him know how I felt about everything that was going on in my life. Okay, now, Lord man, please forgive me. Please forgive me for, for complaining. Please forgive me for grumbling. Please for ha- forgive me for having this perspective that it's all about me, having this self-centered perspective. It's not all about me. It's about you. Help my unbelief. 
in the situations that I was complaining to you about. Help me not to focus on my circumstances, God. Help me to focus on you. And that's the main implication. That's the main implication that I'm hoping we leave off with tonight. We want to be thoughtful in our time of prayer. We don't want to be praying in order to be seen by others. We don't want to lift up mindless repetitions or or babbling. We want to be thoughtful. But the main thing that I hope we're thoughtful of, the main thing that I hope we're thoughtful of is the fact that we are addressing our Heavenly Father. We're addressing our Heavenly Father. Francis Chan, he once said this. He said, if you would just take 10, 20, 30 seconds to think about who you're talking to before you pray, it would change your prayer entirely. You know, Francis Chan, he was the first man that I had ever heard speak about prayer in this way of like focusing on who you're talking to. I'm sure people have said it beforehand. I'm sure people have said it since. But he was the first person that I heard talk about it years ago. When we pray to our Father, when, when we, as Hebrews 4.16 tells us, that we, when we approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, we need to really think about who, who we are talking to. Who are we talking to? We tend to pray to God as though we're talking to a friend or, 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 a, or a parent who like has no power to change anything. Like we, we, we talk to God as though we need to like help him think through our situation. Like, God, let me break it down for you. Cause look, if this happens, then this is gonna happen. But if this happens, then this is gonna happen. So God, like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to help you out here. Like, these are all the scenarios that might happen. So like, just, just so it's in your head, you know? He knows everything. God knows everything. He is outside of time and space. Therefore, he already knows everything that's going to happen. He, he knows everything that could possibly happen, and he knows everything that isn't going to happen. He's not sitting on his throne stressed out about how everything on earth is going to work out. He's actually sitting on his throne very comfortably, basking in the praises and the worship of his creation. Revelation 4 it gives us a pretty intense description of, of God's throne. It tells us that God's appearance on his throne And in his throne room, it's like jasper and carnelian stones. Now, it's hard to describe these stones. I looked up pictures of these stones. It's hard to describe them, but they're like these these fiery red and orange stones with like gray streaks, gray coloration streaks and little shimmery things. Like they're just, it's really hard to describe exactly what these stones look like, but the details of the stone, they don't matter. But what does matter is that no description is actually good enough. The writer of Revelation, the Apostle John, he was just doing his best to put into discernible language what he was seeing in that throne room. And surrounding the throne was a rainbow, the Bible tells us, a rainbow that was like emerald in appearance. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Like, was it a multicolored rainbow that we are familiar with? And it also had the texture of emerald stones. Like, could he touch it? Or was it a rainbow that had multiple hues of green and gray because that's what emerald stone looks like? So, like, it was green and gray, all these different variations of it, but it was a rainbow. Uh, Just how exactly in emerald appearing is this rainbow surrounding the throne? Is, is it a simple arch? Like, was it just like, you know, how we, we think of a rainbow? It's like 
a starting point, ending point? Or, or is this, was this a four-dimensional rainbow, a five-dimensional rainbow? Was this rainbow so large and wide that it was untouchable? Or was this rainbow so surrounding and engulfing that it was everywhere all at once and he could feel it, he could taste it, he could smell it? Like, I don't know. Again, we don't know exactly, but John is doing his best to describe what he is seeing in this throne room. In front of the throne, John tells us, it was something that appeared like a sea of glass. What does that mean? Is there a moat around God's throne? The throne surrounded by water, except this is like water you've never seen before. Like the water is so clear that it looks like you're looking at crystals, like through crystal glass. Like water is so different that it's, its physical properties are unlike anything that we are familiar with with water. Like is this water still wet, but then it's also like firm and you can like walk on it and if it hits you, it's like getting punched by a wall. Like what is this water that is surround, that is in front of the throne of God? And if that was enough to keep you in awe, we read that lightning and thunder, they're coming from the throne. Lightning and thunder are coming from the throne. Not around the throne, but these things are coming from the throne, the lightning and the thunder. From the place where God is seated, lightning is shooting out from his throne, and you hear the sounds of thunder coming from his throne. Psalm 50, verse 3, it says that it is very tempestuous around him. Storms are raging around him. And then we read that there are four very strange-looking creatures that are also around the throne. One looks like a lion, one looks like an ox, one looks like a human, and one looks like an eagle. And they all have six wings. All of them, they have six wings. Not only that, they're all covered with eyes. They're just, they're just covered with eyes. It's a little freaky. It's a little freaky if you try to imagine that, but these creatures... These creatures that would put the fear of God in you if you were to see them right in front of you, these creatures are in front of God's throne. They're surrounding his throne. They're in the midst of the sea of glass and the emerald-looking rainbow and the lightning and the thunder. And these creatures are in God's presence and they are shouting, according to Revelation chapter 4, day and night they are shouting, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come over and over and over again, day and night. But wait, there's more. There are also 24 elders sitting around God's throne. And whenever those four living creatures begin to shout those praises, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come, these elders, they get up off of their own thrones. They throw their crowns in front of the throne of God because he's the only one worthy of crowns. They get down to their faces and then they offer up some worship of their own. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Every time the living creatures shout their praises, the elders, they fall on their faces and they give praises of their own. Day and night, night and day, over and over and over again, in the midst of the sea of glass, the roaring thunder, the flashing lightning, the engulfing rainbow. This is the amazing sight that we see in Revelation chapter four as we get a glimpse into the throne room of God, the throne that we are encouraged to approach with great boldness and great confidence. This is the place that we are entering when we bow our heads in prayer. 
Whenever our knees hit the ground in prayer, our knees, they land in the throne room of God in front of all of these sights and sounds. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that as we enter into our time of prayer tonight. Let us not forget that as we offer up these words to God, this is what is in that scene. Let us not, let us not think that anything that is happening on this earth, anything that is happening in our lives personally is any match for what God is capable of doing, understanding what is going on around him in this very moment. I guarantee you that when you enter the throne room of God in prayer, those four living creatures and those 24 elders, they're not gonna be distracted by your petitions. They're not gonna be like, oh no, maybe God isn't holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. How's he gonna figure this problem out? And I realize that as I said that, I'm making it seem that like, all prayer is, is an opportunity for you to present your problems to God. It's not just that. It is that, but it's not just that. Prayer is a time of just communication with God. Let him know how great things are going as you pray. Thank him for the blessings. Thank him for the trials, because it's all for your benefit. Let him know that you know how great and awesome he is. Praise him, honor him, attribute to him the things that he is. Let him know how much you care for the people that he cares about. Intercede for others, pray for others, pray for the lost. This is the time for us to communicate with our Father, this time of prayer that we're gonna enter into. But before we end our time in the word and we get into prayer, I just wanna provide like we do every week, I wanna provide an opportunity for anyone who is here who doesn't know Jesus Christ yet as their Lord and Savior. They have not yet received Christ as Lord and Savior. And so very simply, so that we can get into our time of prayer, every single one of us is born dead in our sins and our trespasses. And when we die, we're gonna stand before God and he's gonna judge us, just like that video we saw with Ray Comfort. We've all broken God's law. We're gonna stand in God's courtroom and he's gonna declare us guilty because that's exactly what we are. But Jesus Christ paid the fine. He paid all of your debt for you. So all you need to do is say, you know what? I'm gonna just hop on his account I'll, I'll take whatever Jesus is giving so I can be forgiven of my debt. And then God in that faith will give you a new heart. You will be born again. You will be saved. You will be forgiven and you will be justified. God will look at you as if you've never committed any sins because Jesus Christ was your perfection and he is your perfection. So if there's anybody in here who has not yet received that salvation and that forgiveness, I just wanna give you an opportunity. I wanna pray for you. So if that's you in here, raise your hand before we get into this time of prayer so we can just pray for you. If that's anybody in here, I'll give you a few seconds. Okay, well, right on. Well, praise the Lord. So now that our time in the word is, is completed, let's get into some.